Hello, and welcome to your very own Survivor's Guide to Hell. We know how hard it is to find good news these days. It comes at a price, too. Studies show that bad news can amp up your stress hormones, increase your depression, and cause you to be less kind to the people around you. In some cases, it can even increase rates of crime and suicide in your community. At Survivor's Guide to Hell, we want to help you breathe easier. Each week, we select a difficult topic, then use that topic to help you laugh, help you find a bright side, or even just change your perspective for the better. Today, our unpleasant topic is... Mischievous kids. If the antics of a child or teenager, whether it's your own or someone else's, has ever gotten under your skin, then this is the episode for you. Cue intro music. you gotta be careful about what you say your unpleasant topic is. You can't just come out and announce, this week's unpleasant topic is children. People love children. I love children. They chase butterflies and give unfamiliar objects super cute names and deliver the best hugs and kisses. I have three children of my own, two in the chasing butterflies phase and one very talented teen in the making a place in the world phase. Oftentimes, my kids are the silver lining. But let's talk about the darker side of kids for just a second. The side that mysteriously leaves a dollop of literal poop on your living room rug a few feet from the no longer potted plant you thought they couldn't reach. The side that complains about struggling on high school freshman assignments but miraculously already knows everything you learned in college when you sit down to help. The part that considers you a jungle gym for their tiny but brutal bodies, and of course, the side that scares the hell out of you when they seem sick, hurt, or extremely sad, and you're not sure if they need a baby aspirin or a trip to the ER. Okay, I've gotta stop before this list turns into an entire act one. The thing is, sometimes children's best moments are when they're up to no good. Whether they're blithely wandering out their front door and into the elements, calling people they really shouldn't be calling, scaring their parents with sudden health issues, or ganging up on vulnerable little kids at a skate park. We've got a wide variety of childish antics for you today, all of which can be explained in one sentence. Kids defying our expectations, even when the police are stepping in. Grab your crayons, your applesauce packets, and a bottle of disinfectant, everybody. Today, we're talking about mischievous kids. Part 1. When they ganged up on a boy at the skate park, these kids never saw this coming. The following is a transcript from an actual 111 call, which is the British version of 911. Hello. Hi, this is Jim from Palais. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm very sorry. Yeah. That was my nearly five-year-old son. He was just telling me that he um, wanted to invite the police to his birthday party. Oh. I just, I'm really sorry. Like, I feel a bit embarrassed. No, it's okay. I'm so sorry about that. Um, 
I'm really sorry. No, that's all right. We just wanted to make sure everything was okay because he called us a couple of times. But Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. So long as there's no emergency. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. We, yeah. We're all safe and right. well. Um, but, yeah, he had just been telling me he wanted to um, have a police themed birthday party. And then I didn't realise he was going to find <laughs> I'm so sorry. Ah, no, so that's sorry. okay. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to make it, but I'll put it in. Yeah. <laughs> That is exactly the kind of thing a mischievous kid would do, isn't it? Mum was probably thoroughly embarrassed, but I'd say this fits solidly in the we'll laugh about this one day category. And the police dispatcher? She'd have something to smile about for the rest of the day and a feel-good story to tell co-workers that had to field calls much darker or much pettier than that of an eager birthday boy. All in all, this phone call was a breath of fresh air to a group of British dispatchers and the nearly 18 million people who viewed the video of the transcript. The child inviting the police to his birthday party had no idea how far-reaching his actions would be, and that gives him something in common with the kids that take center stage in Act 1 of today's episode. Something unexpected happened at a rough-and-tumble skate park. It even caught the attention of the police. Sure enough, when the police in the CBS News story heard about how a middle schooler and his posse were treating a young boy at their skate park, they sent out a squad car so an officer could give the kids a piece of his mind. But enough preamble, let's get to the details. Little Carter was celebrating his fifth birthday at the skate park with his mother, Kristen. No one was there but the two of them, Carter donning a Paw Patrol helmet and Kristen watching from the sidelines. While other kids might have sent a birthday invite to every kid in the neighborhood, Carter had trouble with this kind of thing. It took a lot of encouragement from his parents to interact with others, and it often involved a lot of anxiety and a lot of pain. Carter had autism. He was high-functioning, but his mother was still on high alert as he navigated the slopes with his skateboard and scooter, knowing full well that places like these weren't known for attracting a polite and tolerant crowd. Kristen was ready to whisk her son away at a moment's notice if things got out of hand. Before the birthday boy could get his fill, a group of middle schoolers were approaching the skate park, not unlike a pack of wolves approaching fresh kill. They were led by Gavin Maves, a boy with unkempt brown hair, a skateboard, and of course the small crowd of peers at his flanks. He and his friends were doing what skating middle schoolers do grabbing their gear, grabbing their friends, and heading to the park to consume the pavement under their wheels. Kristen peered anxiously at the group as they approached the place where Carter was happily playing on his own. As they spread out over the skate ramps, she kept a close eye on her boy. Her heart was probably pumping a little harder when she saw Gavin Maves approaching her son. She told news reporters, I don't know, they've really just shocked me. It was unlike any experience I think I've ever had. Gavin began following Carter around the park. His friends took notice, and soon their pack mentality took over. Before long, it seemed like every kid on the skate ramps was only there to treat Carter to nothing less than a happy birthday. Kristen pulled out her phone and started to record. Her video shows Gavin telling his friends, This kid's already better than me. When Carter took a clumsy cruise on his skateboard. When Carter lost his balance and rolled onto his back, Gavin helped him back to his feet. The middle schooler even gave Carter a few tips and tricks for skating success. 
Before long, the skate park kids broke into a chorus of happy birthday, fist bumping Carter and smiling at him as he passed. Kristen was shocked and thrilled by what these kids had done for her son on his special day. So much, in fact, that talking about it brought her to tears. She posted her video on Facebook, hoping someone could help her find who the kids were so that she could say thank you. It worked. With a little help from other locals, she was able to organize a meeting with the kids right there at the skate park. She brought Carter, of course, who happily gave Gavin a big hug once he saw him. But Carter wasn't the only guest. An officer from the police station had come, as well as camera crews from several different news stations. With America soon to be watching, the officer offered each kid a medal. He then announced, we're going to throw you guys a pizza party next week over at school. Gavin and his posse probably had no idea the kind of waves they'd make simply by being friendly to a young boy on his birthday. It's virtually guaranteed that when he started helping Carter at the park, he wasn't trying to brainstorm his way onto CBS, ABC, and CNN, or to dream up a strategy to get the local police department to throw him a pizza party. I think it's fair to say that the middle schoolers just wanted to be nice to a kid on his birthday. So fun to be around. Yeah. He's rad. Yeah. Yeah. That was Gavin and a friend talking about how they felt about Carter. Perhaps the coolest part of the story is that according to CBS, Gavin and Carter would still get together at the skate park to shred the pavement, even when the news cameras were pointing elsewhere. Gavin's mother once said that you never really can tell what your child is doing when you're not there to watch. It's an unpleasant fact all parents have to face, but at least we can take comfort in one thing. Sometimes, those kiddos of ours are doing great things while our backs are turned. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Part 2. What happened 20 years after Officer Barca resuscitated a dying baby? Happy In 2014, a police captain arrived at the scene of an engagement party in Chicago Park. The officer, a fair-skinned man from Yonkers, looked out of place among the crowd of partygoers, who all shared dark olive skin. Many guests wore Arab headscarves and were speaking in tongues from the Middle East. The officer, however, simply wore a blue polo and a healthy New York accent. Names like Ahmed, Ali, and Shamara were floating about the crowd. The officer's name? Joe. <laughs> to find out what this man was doing at this kind of party, we need to travel to Yonkers, New York, 1993. It was December 28th, that elbow between Christmas and New Year's, where many of us are analyzing how our year has gone and making goals for the next year. It's a time of thoughtfully looking behind before staring relentlessly into the future. For the Hamada family, however, there wasn't much thought about what the year would bring. Their hopes for the future were fixed on whether or not their two-month-old daughter, Shamara, would survive the hour. The family was going about their business in their small Victorian home, perhaps making plans for the Islamic New Year, when the mother began to scream. Shama, 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 she shrieked. Shama, the father, rushed into the room as mother wept, 
She's not breathing. She's choking. For a few moments, Shama studied the baby carefully. He couldn't detect a single breath. Their baby was limp and lifeless. The family called 911. When Officer Joseph Barca arrived at the scene, he saw Shama holding his child, the man's eyes swimming in tears. The officer took Shamara, feeling for a pulse or any sign of breath. There was none. Barca knew he had to get this baby to the hospital, but at the very least, a doctor may be able to determine the cause of death. He took baby Shamara into the back seat of the police car while his partner began to drive to the hospital. Barca laid the child on the upholstery with two fingers on her chest, pressing into her heart over and over to keep blood circulating in her tiny veins. Occasionally, he'd stop to tilt her chin and share a breath with her, feeling her chest rise as he filled her lungs with his own air. He maintained the CPR, keeping a steady rhythm even as the car swerved around traffic and jostled its occupants. Push, push, push. Breathe. Push, push, push. As the hospital approached, the baby gave a shudder. Little Shamara's face, which had nearly been lifeless as a corpse, twisted. She opened her soft, round mouth and began to gasp and scream. Barca now had a very upset baby on his hands, but it was a baby that was breathing on her own. I imagine that Barca felt washed over with that warm feeling of profound solace and euphoria buzzing in his fingers as he picked up Shamara and cradled her. Meanwhile, Shamara's parents and two little brothers were waiting at home, devastated and frightened. Was their baby already dead? Either way, how could they see her? Had the emergency responders given up, or were they still fighting for the family's newest member? The phone rang, and Shama hastened to pick it up. He was expecting the worst when Barka greeted him. Even through the phone lines, Barka could hear the undiluted grief in the father's voice. Do you hear that baby crying? Barka asked through the receiver. Yeah, Shama responded. That's your baby crying. That was it for dad. He broke down then and there while his teary wife studied his expression. Soon, the family was awash in the ultimate relief of an innocent child brought back from the edge of death. A picture of Officer Barca in full uniform holding a healthy baby Shamara appeared in the Yonkers newspaper on May 21st. Instead of a limp Shamara or even a screaming Shamara, the photo depicted a grinning baby pointing at the ceiling, covered in frills and looking cozy in the crook of the officer's arm. There was something to be said for Barca's expression as well. If you saw the picture out of context, you'd probably think from his soft smile and tender eyes that Barca was looking down at his own daughter. Shamara's father said years ago that he gave her life the first time and I gave her life the second time. Now Captain Barca told ABC News, that's the way they've been treating me ever since. Of course, it's 
always satisfying to hear a story of a cop doing a good job and a baby not being dead. But perhaps the sweetest part of the story is what Mr. and Mrs. Barca did when there wasn't a police uniform involved. Months after Barca rescued the baby, the Hamada family invited him and his wife over for dinner. They've been a part of Shemara's life ever since. Every year, they have never missed my birthday, Shemara said. And for Christmas, they always send a card and a check and a letter. They're just so sweet. As Shemara changed from infant to toddler and toddler to school age, she began to think of Captain Barca as her second father. So, when Shamara was planning her wedding ceremony in 2014, she made sure to send an invitation to the Barkas. It may have seemed like a bit of a long shot. The wedding would be in Illinois, and Captain Barca still served in the police force of New York. But it didn't seem right not to send an invitation to this honored person in Shamara's life. When the Barca couple received the news, they were determined to come. So they started planning their vacation. So it was that a white guy named Joe along with his wife, Helen, ended up at the wedding celebration of the Hamada and Salah families. He was there to celebrate the special day of a baby he'd saved 20 years prior. A day that, without him, may never have happened. Joseph Barca would save over a dozen people during his policing career and was there at ground zero when tragedy struck on 9-11. He's been given the John Carrion Unsung Hero Award at the annual LETR National Conference. He retired from the force about a year after Shamara's wedding, and of all his accomplishments in 46 years of service, he maintains that saving that two-month-old baby three days before New Year's was the height of his career. Last we heard, Joseph Barca serves as the state director of the Law Enforcement Torch Run for the Special Olympics which is designed to raise awareness and funds for the Special Olympics of New York. What a nice guy. Let's put the episode on hold for just a moment. Having you as a listener is more of an honor than we know how to express. Seriously. We have a goal to more than double our listeners by December 31st, 2022. We're calling it Operation Positivity Poddemic. We could use a power only you all have, the power to leave a review. Just find our show at the place you get your podcasts and click the write a review button. The more reviews we receive, the easier it is for our new listeners to find us. Some podcast applications like Spotify don't have a place to leave reviews. If that's the case, you can always write a review on iTunes or simply hang tight for our next Positivity Poddemic shout out. Part three, two kids that defied the odds. Sometimes as I research materials for a survivor's guide to hell, I come across incredible stories that are just a little too brief to fill a segment of our production. But hey, lucky me, I found several such stories for this week's podcast. So we're dedicating the final portion of the episode to two mini stories of kids making enough trouble to catch the police's attention and the silver linings that came from it. Story 1. I brought you into this world. One of the most maddening things about a youth is the way they point out everything about you that they think is wrong. Take retired officer Matthew Bailey. 
He'd probably made his fair share of traffic stops during his career on the police force, and I wonder if it was difficult for him not to roll his eyes when a youngin pulled him over and approached his window. The young trooper, Officer Patterson, greeted Matthew with a polite, almost bored, How's it going today? The trooper asked for the usual license and registration, and Matthew decided to start some small talk as he pulled out the documents. It wasn't long until the two had discovered that, small world, they were from the same neighborhood. Matthew even remembered a specific address that rang a very special bell to Trooper Patterson. Regarding the address, Matthew told the trooper, the first baby I delivered was at that house. That's why I always remember the address. At the house, Patterson exclaimed, by myself, Matthew replied. In an instant, the tired expression of Trooper Patterson's pull-over routine dropped. That was me, he said. That was me. At 27 years old, Patterson had pulled over the retired cop that had delivered him when his mother couldn't make it to the hospital in time. The trooper took a step towards the car and extended his arm through the window to give a handshake. Matthew took his hand. Get the hell out, he said in disbelief. That was me, Patterson repeated. It was the first baby I delivered was that house. That's why I always remember the address. At the house, at, in the bedroom. Oh yeah, oh yeah, by myself. That was me. It was, that was me. Get the hell that out. That was me. You can watch this on Patterson's body cam, and by this point, there's an obvious smile in his voice. He introduced himself a second time to Matthew, not as a trooper now, but as Michael Patterson, the baby he'd delivered. Of course, both men were thrilled. Not long after he'd finished the traffic stop, Patterson wrote a note and left it at Matthew's house. A line from it said, Who would have thought that a routine stop for tints would have brought me back to the beginning of this journey called life? Awesome! Michael Patterson wanted pictures and left a number Matthew could call to reconnect. And reconnect they did, not only for pictures, but for Trooper Patterson's tearful mother to express her gratitude. I'm grateful to Mr. Bailey for coming to assist. I honestly don't know what would have happened had they not come to my aid. In an interview with CBS News, Matthew said, I think a, a greater power somehow made that meeting happen, and I'm not sure where it's going to take us, and I'm willing to go on the journey. Patterson's mother responded by saying, We're definitely going to stay in touch, because this is a special relationship. <laughs> I'm sorry. Story two, the body in the blackberry bushes. It does not need to be February in Portland, Oregon for the weather to be a bit brutal. However, during that chilly month of the year, the average low temperature hovers just above freezing and the average high of 54 degrees isn't quite enough to warm your bones, especially if the weather is wet. During this time of year, it's certainly no place to visit without a jacket and a decent pair of shoes. Unfortunately, that's not how a two-year-old boy named River was dressed when he went missing in the northeast side of Portland. River's mother was sharing a bed with him. Personally, I can't think of a more thorough way to keep an eye on your little one during the wee hours of the night, but River still found a way to sneak away unnoticed. He even managed to open the front door, a feat his parents said the toddler had never managed before. 
When his mother woke up, she experienced the unsettling discovery of a child that was no longer at her side. Some of you may have had this happen. You fall asleep with your little one cuddled next to you, safe and warm. But when you wake up, they're not where you left them. Most parents only need to look a few minutes to discover the missing child playing with the remote in the living room or perhaps throwing all the contents of the sock drawer onto the floor. River's mother, however, was not so lucky. Her son, who was wearing nothing more than a diaper and a onesie, was nowhere to be seen. She called the police and a search team was dispatched. The weather was in the low 40s that week, with intermittent rain showers. River wasn't wearing so much as a sock to protect his feet, and his onesie wasn't much consolation. Each passing hour meant his chances of being overtaken by the chill were mounting, and that was only if other hazards didn't get to him first. The first hour after River was reported missing procured no results. Neither did the second, nor the third. Soon, six hours had passed after the distressed mother's phone call. To make matters worse, neighbors reported seeing the boy on the street around 1 a.m., alerting police that River may have been exposed and lost much longer than they thought. Those involved couldn't help but worry that their search for a lost child may end in a search for a lost body. During this terrifying time, Officer Daniel Tatro was helping with traffic control. His job was to block traffic and make way for search crews who were still desperately looking for Little River. As he navigated his task, he heard a voice calling to him. The voice belonged to a woman, Becky Irving. At her side was Ava, a well-trained German shepherd who had just made a discovery worthy of a steak dinner. Becky was frantically waving for Officer Tatro's attention, and when he approached her, she shared some news that was just as hopeful as it was unsettling. She said that Ava had sniffed out a body behind a nearby market. It was small enough to belong to River. Tatro immediately followed Becky and her dog to the muddy patch of weeds behind the market. Sure enough, tangled in a mass of overgrown blackberry bushes was a small collection of fabric and limbs. There was no movement. As the officer picked his way through the brambles to retrieve the boy, he prepared himself for one of the worst moments of his life. When he collected River from the branches, it quickly became one of the best. He just clung to me, Tacho said. River was cold to the touch and very weak. Video footage shows him trying and failing to raise his head, but he was alive alive enough to cling to the officer with all his tiny, fading strength. Other officers surrounded Tatro, one bringing a jacket to cover the frigid boy. This is probably the top of my career, you know, the officer said. As officers, we see a lot of sad things, so we try to keep a little bit of distance so it doesn't affect us as much. But with the boy, it was clear he was so longing to be rescued and to feel that human contact. It was hard not to connect with him. And he's really cute, so it's hard not to love him. Tacho took the near-listless child to his car, watching the boy's eyes open and close sluggishly as he cranked the heat all the way up. Soon, an ambulance arrived to take the child to the hospital. Little River was going to face a lot in the next few months. There'd be an investigation to ensure his home was a suitable place for him to stay, and his parents had a lot of work ahead of them. But River was alive, he was going to be okay. 
And that's about as big a silver lining as I could ask for. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, those were the two mini tales that we promised, but as a thank you for joining us today, we have a little bonus audio for you. Remember that child at the beginning of our show who invited the police to join him for his birthday party? Take a listen to this. This is the sound of a rather intimidating group of men and women making their way to a yellow brick house. They're wearing blue shirts with police vests, handcuffs at their waists, and bold white letters across their chests and backs that read, Police. I don't know much about the British police force, but one of the particularly large men in the group is decked out in head-to-foot protective gear, not unlike the uniform of a SWAT member here in the States. Another hulky gentleman has thick, full-body armor and a face shield. This is not a group of people you want to see at your front door, like, ever. The uniforms, combined with the sheer number of them, have this way of making you assume you've done something illegal just because they've looked in your direction. They've all gathered at the front steps of this brick house, and one of them has leaned forward to knock on the door. A little boy, freshly five years old, answers. It's the officer who knocked on the door that greets him. Hello? Is Zachary here? Yes! Zachary. (laughs) (laughs) Zachary, can we talk to you for a second? No. (laughs) That's freaking hilarious. I think this Zachary kid may have taken a moment to second-guess his fascination with the police once he's seen what they all look like at his house. However, when a female officer steps forward and offers Zachary a German Shepherd plush in a police uniform, Zachary gives them permission to enter. The gift worked so well, in fact, I wonder why we don't just offer plushies to homeowners rather than search warrants. You can come in. Oh, thank you. (laughs) The officers walk inside a house that is dressed in streamers and bursting with small kids and their parents. We've got some stuff outside if you want to come and have a look at it. Maybe a bit of a play around with some of our gear. Would you be interested in that? Yeah. I might! <laughs> the police treat Zachary and his friends to a thoroughly police-themed party, just like he asked for. The kids get to wear some of the police gear, wave at a law enforcement helicopter flying overhead, and honk the horn in a police cruiser while the colored lights flash. They even treat him to something every good parent hopes to see for their child one day and buckle Zachary right into the back of their police car. It wasn't just friends and parents that would sing happy birthday to Zachary, but a highly trained squad of law enforcement personnel. While our off-duty staff were happy to bring Zachary's birthday wish to life, the local police department wrote, we don't encourage kids calling 111 to invite the police to their birthdays. There is a smiley face at the end of that last sentence. Isn't it funny? Even when our kids are truly up to no good, they still seem to bring out the good in so many of us. Well, we did it. That's the end of today's stories. Now we invite you to join us for our weekly Silver Liners Challenge, which is designed to be an easy, actionable step you can take to help boost your week and help you survive hell. Here it is, the Silver Liners Challenge. Do something this week to be kind to a child. Feel free to share your experiences in the comments of our website, survivorsguidetohell.com, or on our YouTube channel. 
If you'd like to see the videos and pictures that often accompany our episodes, like the video of Little River being saved, check out our website, again, at survivorsguidetohell.com, where you'll also find much more information, including our storytelling code of ethics and many of the resources that we used to tell you today's stories. We're always looking for cool new stories. If you have something to share, please visit our site and drop us a line. And remember, if you liked this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and other streaming platforms. When you subscribe, you no longer have to go searching for episodes. They'll be delivered right to the place you listen to podcasts. Simply open the app or website you use, find our podcast, and click the subscribe button. You'll also be helping support us as we spread our good vibes and work towards our goal of Operation Positivity Podemic. If you like Survivor's Guide to Hell and would like to do something to contribute, then you're already on the right track. Just listening is the best thing you can do. We've also seen amazing results when our listeners share our episodes. If this episode made you think of someone, send it their way. They may be grateful for it, and we will be too. Hey, I'm just dropping in after editing nearly this entire episode with a little fact check update. If the police officers from that last story didn't sound British to you, then then you're a little bit more cultured than I am. This story actually took place in New Zealand, not England. Sorry for the mistake. <laughs> sorry, listeners, and sorry, officers. Got it wrong. I'm just gonna pull my foot out of my mouth while you go ahead and enjoy your cheesy joke of the week. The kid that used to bully me at school still takes my lunch money. On the other hand, he makes a great Subway sandwich. Thank you and have an excellent week.